Welcome to this week's episode of Birthright Living Legacy Podcast, where we share the stories of fatherhood and their effects because there is no manual. We are here to learn from each other as we build our fatherhood playbook. Now, welcome your hosts, Marquis and Crystal Dennis. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, family and friends. We are back at the wonderful Birthright Living Legacy podcast. And as you know, it is time for me to welcome the one, the only, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mrs. Crystal Dennis. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. We're really excited to get this one kicked off. Today, we are featuring a father of two. He's been married for 17 years. He has a plethora of wealth in in financial management, and he has a passion for just helping kids grow developmentally in their education, specifically. And he's just here to share his passion and his vision for his family today. So without further ado, would you please help me welcome Jared Welcome. Thank you, Crystal. There we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is the quality you could expect from the fundraiser that we had, you know? We're just so excited and so blessed. All right. So still we're still learning how to use it. <laughs> so, Jared, so thankful to have you here, brother. So glad Long to see you. Long time coming. Right? I know, right? Long time coming. So, uh, you know. Been waiting my whole life for this. Your whole life? Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we saved the best for you. You know, you get the full setup. I can hardly contain my excitement. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get to it. I can see it. Okay, so in tradition of Birthright Living Legacy, our favorite question is to ask, what was your favorite part about being your father's son? Hmm. Favorite part? You know, I think being proud of him. I, I was always extremely proud of my dad and uh, some for some reason when you asked me that that's what first came to mind um, you know I wish that every young boy could look up to their dad and I'm sure we all kind of pick out men in our lives certainly women but men in our our lives that we look up to whether they're, they're truly our dad or, or a father figure type person mm-hmm. and so I'd have to say I was always uh, wanting to be like my dad there was a lot of traits he had that I wanted to be just like him, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Oh, that's awesome. So, just so I understand, uh, for the audience that's listening, what, when you say proud of him, what does that, what does that mean to you? Well, probably practical things. There's nothing my dad couldn't fix. Really? At least, that's what I thought, right? Okay. You know, I, in many ways, probably idolized him. Uh, my dad's kind of an engineer type, and... Kinda? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't... He, to my to my mind, there wasn't anything he couldn't fix. There wasn't anything he couldn't engineer. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, sometimes the solution was maybe not the prettiest, but right. it worked. <laughs> I it got worked. you. So he yeah. was like a duct tape guy, or uh, a little better than that. Okay. A little better than that. But um, sometimes he. Uh, there were times I can remember going to school. There were some things he engineered for me to wear. Oh. There was like costumes. Think like even engineering costumes. Wow. They were kind of bulky. Uh, <laughs> you know, a little. There's no you know, like can't can't hide when you're wearing that thing. I got gotcha. you. So, I got gotcha. you. But he got it done. That's the point. So uh, you know, obviously, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to have my dad. So immediately, 
my mind goes to this ideal that you guys were building like go-karts and you were like, you know, digging like, you know, campsites at, you know, uh, Cub Scouts and all that. Were you guys doing all that stuff? You know, not as much as I wanted. Okay. Truth is. So, not not to sound ungrateful at all, but, you know, I look back at certain experiences that he and I had and I wanted more of them. You know, Mm. something for me, which, you know, as soon as my kids hear this, their eyes are going to roll back in their heads. It's my privilege as a dad. You know, I love camping, for example. Right. I love getting a tent, going out to the middle of nowhere, and pitching that tent. We're going to have a fire, if it's appropriate, and we're just going to do the camping thing. And I've had to sit and think, why is that? Why do I like camping? And it has a lot to do with, those are some of the best memories I have with my dad. Okay. And yet... I can probably count on one and a half hands the times that we actually tent camped. Oh, wow. But I'll tell you what, I remember certain things about them that had a huge impression on me. And so I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. No, did we do Boy Scout stuff every weekend? No, we didn't. But the times that we did do them, they were super high quality for me. And they stuck with me. That's beautiful. So how does that transition into you uh, and your fatherhood journey? Well, um, it probably translates into me overdoing it. My yeah, I was gonna ask. Everywhere. I was gonna ask. Does that happen to where you're like, we're going camping every week, it, it and might. then your kids you are like, my kids, but you know yeah, what? That's probably I, I. I might tend to overdo it in some ways. You know, like, hey, let's go camping. Well, Dad, we're in our bed. I don't care. Get out of your bed. We're going to the backyard. <laughs> Impromptu. And we have. I got to tell you. Okay, so here's a practical thing that happened. My kids were. Oh, I mean, my daughter might have been six. And we pitched a tent in the backyard. That was how we first started practicing camping. Uh-huh. Is we pitched a tent in the backyard, and my wife kind of looked at me like, are you serious? Absolutely, I'm serious. And we, we pitched that tent, and we slept when it was raining, torrential rain. We had a rain fly on the tent. Oh, wow. And to me, it was perfect, because there was the there was the safety of, if you've got to go to the bathroom or you have any big need, just unzip the tent, run inside. Like, how bad could it possibly be? So you kind of get the best of both worlds. I loved it. So did my kids love it? Well, you know, they're, they're learning to love it, right? And now, you know, they, they like it more than they used to, and I, it's made for some unique experiences. My daughter's now slept in our backyard right now by herself in a tent. Wow. Um, I wondered if it was a one-time thing, but yeah, it's, it's happened. So those are some of the... Now let me ask you, do they take electronics? Are you that guy where it's like, mm, 1864? No. Yeah, 1864. Eating I crickets mean, and... You better strike the, the rocks together for a spark, <laughs> and you better find some, you know, kindling. No, not quite. Oh, I was going to say... Into the world, this we're is, coming to your house. Yeah, I was going to say, this guy's probably one of those propane grill havers like me. <laughs> But I, I don't ever profess to be a camper, so I would I would like to go, but unfortunately I you know. Hey. Well, hey, I mean you could you could go camping. Let's go camping. I think you just like, signed you up. You know, I well I, the luxuries of life appeal to him you, greater. Taking you out, we're going camping. You know what my idea of camping is? Oh, what? A log cabin or an RV. Like without those two things, so, we are wasting time. You're gonna get me off onto a bunch of stories, which I don't know. That's why you got me here. But. No, we actually got you here to talk about your fatherhood journey. So as long as it has anything to do with that, we're good. So in that vein, 
what would you say is your favorite part about being a father? Um, my favorite part. Getting to see, you know, maybe every dad would say this. It's like getting to do it over again with your kids. Mm. You get to live vicariously through them. Now, obviously, you could take that to the extreme. But I love seeing my son play the first soccer game he's ever played. I love the, the opportunity to have gone to those uh, awkward youth sports, right? It's sometimes painful, but it's beautifully <laughs> painful, right? Because you're, you're do, it's your kid, and yeah. it's, it's your first time at it. So you get to go through all that again. You like um, seeing, you know, you see in your kids struggle with algebra. Yeah. It's, a, it's a life stage. You're, 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 getting, you're earning your stripes, you know? So... <laughs> That's what I love. I love the experiences of seeing things through their eyes mm-hmm. and listening to them um, <clears throat> solve school problems. You know, school, probably more analytical than the average bear. And I like to, I like to, the experience of having my kids come home and talk about the, you know, what happened in their day. It's not just academic, it's social, right? So when someone looked at me the wrong way or... I had difficulty with this homework assignment. I love helping them through that stuff. Really? It's it's super rewarding to catch them in those moments of struggle and say, yeah, we're going to do this together. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not supposed to, but I'd love to help my kids with their homework. Like, halfway do it for them. Okay, I was just going to ask. I mean, I'm I'm maybe out myself, but yeah. (laughs) We're We're here to do well, and if that means Dad helps you, then that's what it means. Huh? Huh? Yeah. They say it's what it's who you know, not what. I guess. I guess so. <laughs> One of these days, you know, when they have to, I hope, you know, stand on their own, they'll be ready. But in the meantime, I've been helping them. <laughs> I can dig it. Well, you had said something that I, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper in, and you're welcome to chime in if uh, you got anything. Uh, but for me, um, something you said that was really important is, you know, whenever your kids are coming home and they're solving, like, social problems, um, I know I've heard, you know, through multiple people, uh, what that struggle is like, uh, especially for teenage daughters, um, you know, young sons are a little bit easier, but for teenage daughters, you know, it's like, how did you, I mean, if you even went about it in this particular way, um, but what was that journey like building that trust to, you know, be able to get her to open up and, you know, just have those conversations with you? I love that question. You know, part of it, part of why I love that is because I'm right in the middle of it. I wouldn't say that I've arrived. Okay. Those are things that I'm striving for, but uh, I'm really grateful for the relationship I have specifically with my daughter. Um, And I don't say that in a boastful manner, but more just genuinely grateful. How did I build that trust? Um, Honestly, I think one of the key ingredients was spending time with her. Okay. And um, when I say that, I can't always physically be present. Mm-hmm. But uh, it may be as simple as writing her a letter when she's away at summer camp, if she's able to do that. It may be um, now, recently, in the last year or so, she has she's borrowing a phone from me. So a cellular, you know, she's got a phone. It's not her phone, but she has one that she can use. And so calling and texting her, we're kind of at that stage where I've had to kind of wrap my mind around, I can't believe I have a daughter that's this age, number one and two, 
that I'm texting her and she's texting me back. We're having a little more um, interaction, adult, adult yeah. conversations. Oh, okay. Uh, more, like you said, social, you know, social pressures and things like that. Hey, Dad, so and so is not talking to me. Hey, so and so um, said this thing to me, and I didn't understand why they would be so mean. Mm-hmm. So, whether I'm on track or not, the way that I've handled it is just talking her through it. Well, it's taken a lot of, you know, I, I guess training on my part, but I have to ask her, well, how did that make you feel? Mm. And so I would say that avoiding trying to rush in to solve it, you know, if, if ever you've uh, been married or, you know, had to interact with the other sex, you realize that uh, always trying to solve the problem is not necessarily what's going No, on. that's exactly what you do. <laughs> Listen, I walk around with a hammer all the time and tell my wife, you're the nail, okay? And when unfortunately, he drops it on his foot every time. <gasps> Uh, listen. That's life. Listen. That's reality. What I did was to fix that problem is when she can't open the pickle jar, no, you don't want my help. No, no, no. No, I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. No, I, I appreciate your question. I'm not sure how well I've answered it, but building no, you trust did. with her is, um, you know, and, and I, interestingly, I think that's two directional. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of trust that she's got to build with me. And we've had some challenges actually on that. Mm. Little things. I think the, the price of breaking trust at her level, it's not very costly. But I like to inflate that perceived value of what she's not done or what she has done in a sense to hit home the point of how important it is not to break trust. Give me an example. What do you mean? Thank you. Um, So you told me that you were at a certain place. Mm -hmm. I found out you were not where you told me you were. Well, but Dad, I was... I was doing this really good thing. It's as simple as you and I agreed I would pick you up at this area of school. Mm -hmm. I was there for 10 minutes and you weren't there. Well, but dad, I was helping this friend with their homework after school. And while that might be a good motivation, the fact was we talked about you being at this place at this time. You don't understand the importance of doing what it is you say you're going to do. I've got to be able to count on you. Mm -hmm. And recently at, you know, 13 years old, 13 plus, a new reality started to set in. And we started talking to her about it. I, I, I've, I've been able to illustrate for her how trust builds. So I said, you at 13 and a half years old, I have to know that you're trustworthy because in two and a half years or so, mm-hmm. you're asking me to trust you with a car. Yeah. You want me to... You could raise it up a little bit. Theoretically. Just so you wouldn't have to do the glasses thing. <laughs> you want me to theoretically put a set of keys in your hands. Mm. I promise you, you'll mm. never be behind the wheel of a car if we don't have a real solid basis of trust built. And I said, it's happening right now. We're building that right now. Wow. So would you say that the deepening of your relationship was more facilitated when you began to have that digital text communication? Did that kind of alleviate some of the burden of the tension of having the conversation face-to-face? Um, no, it might have. It might have been a double-edged sword. Okay. It made it, it deepened it. Okay. You know, I, I, I don't know that it made it better, nor did it make it worse. But it, it kind of took us to the next level. Okay. That's kind of the way I think of it. But it was, it was established prior to the cell phone. I think it had to be at a real basic level. I think, you know, even to this day, 
I'm only able to bear the responsibility for which I've been prepared right. up to that level. Right. And so I think with her, I mean, if she, again, won't tell me the truth on basic things, there's there's no reason I would saddle her with more responsibility because it's just all we're doing is raising the stakes. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of way I think of it. So I guess maybe, and I may have pitched this wrong, I apologize, but so as far as her wanting to look to you as a confidant to talk mm-hmm. to you about these relationship things that she's experiencing, was that something that became... Uh, came through your texting conversation or was that something that was established prior? I think it was prior. Okay. I, I, I do. And not to not to say, you know, one and done, but mm-hmm. I think the foundation was put down. Right. So that, you know, tr- trust grew. Yeah. It, it began prior to having, you know, an electronic device. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. So if you could, because I think where you touched on with the electronic device, it is in fact... Um, uh, uh, you know, a topic of discussion that a lot of fathers have and knowing that you're not trying to give advice for everyone. Um, but what was that conversation like with you and your wife? And then when you started to initiate that with your daughter, um, does your son have one or just a no. daughter? Okay. So he doesn't have a, a cell phone, but he has an iPad. Okay. So what was that electronic conversation like seeing as how, you know, you guys are closer to where we are, where we didn't have those amenities. You know it. You yeah. know. So what was that? What was that like? Well, I'm gonna, I'm going to tell you it was bumpy. <laughs> I, I, I don't have any. <laughs> I don't have any um, advice to offer in terms of necessarily how you. No, no, no. We just want to know how you did it. How did I do it? Not, well, not, bumpy. not. Is that, yeah, can yeah, I yeah. just leave it there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we so, found a hot button. Yeah, you know you did. Um, <laughs> that's it this is now now we're getting into it this is real um you know that discussion between mom and dad is um is a delicate one yeah so i think mom has different concerns and fears than dad would okay um how i handled it is i tried my best to say what is it that is your concern just kind of on a blank slate so you have this and i'm talking to my wife now you have this angst about our firstborn, and that mm-hmm. matters because we've never done this before. Your firstborn, my theory is, they're your test case in many, in many <laughs> ways. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They're learning right along with you. And Thank I, you for I being readily, honest. I readily yeah. tell my kids, or I tell my daughter, like, you're trying everything new with you. We're learning right along with you. I've never been a dad before. Okay. You're my, you're my first one. And in a sense, she has a, there, she'll get a special place of recognition because of that, you know? She, mm-hmm. I was a firstborn too. We're kind of the ones that kick the door down, and your your siblings that come behind you kind of get it a lot easier. So, anyways, <laughs> so I asked my wife, "What are your concerns?" Just not gonna anticipate what they are. Just hey, what are you concerned about at, at the at the prospect the thought of even giving her a phone? Where are you at on that? What is the concern? That generated a few discussions, and in both of us, I think. Where we settled is, I don't know exactly. I just know that I didn't have a phone mm-hmm. when I was 13. What? I mean, it, it makes me feel old, but a phone? And I didn't have a phone until I was solidly an adult. Yeah. Right? And I'm not claiming I use it well even now. So <laughs> you want me to hand it to a 13-year-old? That's kind of yeah. tricky. So my concerns were more around, so I can't speak for my wife. Okay. 
my concerns were more around how it could be used negatively. Okay. Social pressure in particular. So when a young girl in particular has social pressures, peer pressure, thrusts on her with a multiplier, right. which is that phone, mm -hmm. which is social media, which it, in some ways is sort of like it's a razor, great yeah. tool. Mm -hmm. But if you don't use it well, you're going to be cut to ribbons. That, that was my concern, is how might social media be amplified? Mm. I don't want a 13-year-old girl being challenged on who she is as her mind and body are changing like they never have before. I gotcha. That was my concern. That was most of where my concern centered around is who would influence my daughter without me knowing. Wow. After hours. Okay. In the dark, if you will. And the dark could be in broad daylight, but I mean in the in the corner of the gym mm -hmm. between classes. Mm -hmm. What is she reading and what is she internalizing all because I gave her a device? That was where my concerns were. So on the other side of that, what need was prompted that merited this conversation of giving your daughter an electronic device? Honestly, a big chunk of that had to do with social pressure. There's a lot of 13-year-old girls that nine-year-old kids these days boy or girl that have phones yeah i'm aware of it so when i say a lot that's a perception when i've sure. talked to some parents it's not as much as you think interesting some mm -hmm. of the you know light research i did our peer parents they said no my kid doesn't have a phone my kid's not going to have a phone mm -hmm. we had a conversation honestly for years mm -hmm. and only recently did we make a decision i felt like organically where we said we're doing this not because we're pressured, but we feel like the time is right. Um, one of those factors that played into it, I mentioned social pressure was there. That predated her getting the phone. So not to say that I felt the pressure and then I felt like I had to react. Mm -hmm. It had been there. Right. This is building for years, actually. But for us, I felt like we were, I was more confident in, in giving her a phone with restrictions because her activities were changing. I saw the upside of, I know you're going to be going to sports games where you're out and about. I'd like to be able to reach you. Yeah. I know you might be put in situations, and I kind of saw the upshot of, what if I was in a kind of a tricky situation and I had a direct line to my parents, either by text or by phone? And I hope she would use it that way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, know I was going to say I... A lot of different ways, but I thought, Ooh, this could this could be an interesting positive if she could reach me kind of like a red phone it's a hotline straight to your dad and I promise right now when either one of them call I have stopped meetings to answer that call and I normally won't but we have a deal in our house when they're calling I will answer and mm -hmm. if I'm not answering it's moments before I call you back it's just a thing it, when they're calling there's nothing more important than that phone call that's yeah. huge. Yeah. What a beautiful way to instill security and even just their own, like, you matter, you know. Yeah. That's but I expect the same. When I'm calling, you better you better. <laughs> well, you're their parent, of Dang, course. <laughs> I knew there was going to be a side hustle there. No, that's good. That's good. I think I think what you were saying is, see, because my thought process is like, man, with all the stuff going on today, like, you know, I watched a lot of movies as a kid, and I see people getting snatched up and all these other kinds of things so i think 
I, I always think from that standpoint of, okay, I want you to be able to get a hold of me. But that's also something I never thought about is that pressure. And I've, you know, talked to moms and dads where, oh, man, I mean, when we were kids, you know, Oregon Trail was the, the, the break of the century. You right. know, Pong was like the big thing where now in the palm of their hand, they have way more power electronically than we ever could have thought. Sure. And I remember the first time I text my seven-year-old and was like, this is ridiculous. I was like, why would you give him a phone? Do you understand the amount of technology he has right now? Mm-hmm. And she just was not having it. All his friends have phones. So, he, I, but, so this is speaking from the side of doing it where you have to try to coach and coerce from the outside. Mm-hmm. Because um, that social pressure in her circles was different. It was more or less like keep up with the Joneses. Let's pay $1,000 for a phone for a seven-year-old. And I was like, I don't, I don't think you understand the questions he asked me. So to give you an example, my son asked me one day, Hey, Dad, can you Google a vicious dog attack? And I said, well... First of all, my question is, why is that even something you want to see? And second, no, that's ridiculous. Why would you ask me that? Where have you even heard that in a conversation, mm-hmm. that you would be that specific to ask me for a vicious dog attack on a human, no less? So immediately that put me in a different zone you know and i'm trying to explain to her like hey i don't know if you know that this is the kind of stuff that he's talking to his friends about and if he has a device that has the capability of finding these answers on his own it's not going to be it's not going to turn out good you know and and so i i understand that that uh that plight so yeah that hits me in a whole different place so the social pressure i think is a very real thing and we all experience it to different degrees. But um, what I felt was important for our family is to make a decision, no matter where we came down on, well, and I'll, I'll say more generally, decisions we make for ourselves and for our family, optimally, you're going toward, we made a decision based on all of the information, mm-hmm. not because I was pressured. Not because I was pressured one way or the other. And... I mean, that sounds good, sounds cliche, but in practice, it's not easy. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that's easy. But making decisions based on conviction rather than pressure, it's the best kind of decision there is. Well, and something that sounds like it was monumental to this process is you established that groundwork beforehand. So it wasn't like the cell phone was the catalyst for the development of the the trust relationship, but beforehand it was trial and error building up to that trust to where, you know, because they're going to, they're going to come across kids or even adults in conversation and they're going to hear things that they shouldn't hear. Mm -hmm. And if they have the device, they're going to want to search it, but it comes down to the fact of, are you able to communicate with your child to know the difference of, Hey, you shouldn't be looking at things like that. Or, Hey, if that conversation is happening, maybe walk away, whatever the case may be. And it sounds like you built that with your daughter a bit. So even listening to you, I don't know that there's only one way to do it. Sure. But that's the way we did it. Yeah. And I could see that if, circumstances were slightly different I may have to build trust at Mm -hmm. that moment Mm -hmm. 
it just seems as if that would be compounding a few things on top of each other. That's a steeper learning curve, faster speed. Sure, sure. You know, to say, here's a phone, and we've got to build trust. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I could see how that could get done, but it sounds like a heavy lift. Yeah. Well, and one of our mottos is, you know, there is no manual for fatherhood. So just because we are highlighting something specifically that you've done successfully in your family unit, that's by no means communicating to any other family unit, this is how it should be done. But what we do want to highlight is what you've established and things you've put into practice. So that way other fathers who are listening or anyone who is listening can say, okay, is this something that would work for our unit, if that makes sense. Oh, you bet. I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, with that said, she, she's right on spot, you know, and that's why she's so amazing. So I get, that's why she gets applause whenever yep. her name is introduced. <laughs> Appropriately. <laughs> but uh, when we were talking, uh, you said that you wanted to make sure to talk about the uh, aspect of being a dad, no matter what the responsibilities, uh, the contact you have with your kids, uh, through their activities and what they carry out and their habits and all of that. Um, and you wanted to recognize, uh, recognize, recognition and appreciation isn't a requirement um could you speak more um yeah that's a mouthful yeah, I said that was, all that. yeah you did <laughs> <laughs> well i think where, where i'm coming from with that sort of sentiment is we all have an ideal picture for everything mm-hmm. right for me fatherhood's supposed to to this day um it's changed but Fatherhood, being a dad, being a husband is supposed to look a certain way. That's where I start. Maybe some other people's orientation is, I don't even know how it's supposed to look. I'll just make this stuff up as I go. But my orientation to it is, it's supposed to look a certain way. So when it doesn't, when being a father, in, you know, away from the theory and the practice, they don't line up, mm-hmm. it's been a real challenge for me. There's been um, a lot of growth there because... I thought adult life, being a dad, was was supposed to go this way. When it doesn't, I've learned through practicality that you can be a dad, just as you said, a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not feeling like I'm getting through to my kids, when I, I may be having various struggles, physical distance, if I'm separated from my kids, that doesn't stop me from being a dad. Yeah. So my... My, uh, that's, that's where I'm coming from when I say that. It may not look like I want it to look right now, but that doesn't mean I'm not a dad. And yeah. It doesn't mean I can't be a dad. And I feel like where we can make that practical is those, those doors, those windows of opportunity I have to speak to my kids, I'm going to get quality. It may not be quantity, but by golly, you give me, a, you give me an opportunity, we're going to get some quality in there. And so for me... I might want a lot of, of interaction with my kids, but the circumstances, it could be work, it could be um, various life situations. I'm not with my kids or my life doesn't look like I want it to look. Mm-hmm. That I've had to learn. I'm, I'm in the process of coming to grips with the fact that I can be a dad by simply praying for my kids, for example. Mm-hmm. We overlook things mm-hmm. like how, how powerful prayer is. I feel separated from my kids because I'm not, I may feel separated from my kids because I'm not physically with them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I'm not a dad. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I'm not doing dad stuff. Dad stuff it may look different than I first thought. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm coming from. When I, you know, being a dad for me, if I was to make a checklist, 
certain things are on that. What what makes me a good dad? Some of the things that are on that list, I got to pray for my kids. Yeah, I got to make the most of the time that I have, and I have to take a deep breath. Sometimes I mess it up, and I've had to, you know, as a dad in particular, I've had to realize it's okay to say, you know what, I'm sorry, I was wrong. That's mm-hmm. that's been hard for me, to say, you know what, I know I'm supposed to do the right thing because I'm the dad. Yeah, but you know what, I didn't. Right then, right there, I didn't do that. And I want to tell you that. I don't want to ask for your forgiveness because I don't want you to do what I just did. Mm. It's not okay. And I'm not going to make it okay because Dad said so or because I'm the dad. Yeah. I've done that, but I don't want to do it again. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I want to say part of me being true to myself, what I value is to say, nah, I, I didn't do that right. Uh. That's what I mean when I say it's important to make the most of the time you have and and really be okay with in a sense the hand you're dealt yeah make the most of it that's a that's a beautiful moment and I just want to want to highlight on that for just a moment I so like my background there wasn't a lot of respect given to women and I didn't have a father but what I can say is I have a, a a wonderful married couple friend and the first time I witnessed her husband apologize to his daughter because he was wrong in his reaction I was my heart was broken my mind was shattered in the most beautiful way because I thought wow like way to instill confidence but then also be a humbling experience of hey I'm not perfect because I think that's what gets impressed on our children so often is the ideal of perfection and even in fathers you know you're a father so you need to do this check this box move these actions you know but it's not like that we're all human we all fumble through life and so um, I really just want to commend you on that because I'm a grown woman you know and I experienced this and it like broke my heart so that for for your daughter to experience that I can only imagine how much you just you built her up in that moment and affirmed who she is listening to you say that experience back and kind of um, what you just said reminded me of one of the other fundamentals I think there is to building trust believe it or not it's saying things like that I'm sorry I was wrong and people can trust that you are honest that you the rules apply to you I think that, that that is another way to build trust is to suggest that the rules are the rules because they're the rules. Mm-hmm. It's not variously applied. Mm-hmm. That itself can be a big trust builder. If if the uh, coach can call a penalty on themselves. Oh, come on. Super, super big on trust building. Listen, the, yes. the way that we're painted as men, you know, we're just always right, bro. You just, you know. I haven't experienced that. That's weird. You haven't experienced that? <laughs> I thought that's what we were supposed to. Right, I thought you were supposed funny, to just walk in and say, I don't know if you know this, but I'm dad right. is in the building. You <laughs> know what I mean? It's it, we're, we're like the federal government. You know, if uh, we were wrong, it just means the law changed. That's all. Uh, that's yeah, all that is. It, it felt like the door got slammed every time I did that. Like, okay. I'm glad you're home. Slam. Dang. Okay. So there is a wrong way to do it. We, we have established that. So, um. We truly appreciate, you know, the vulnerability to be able to go there uh, because a lot of people wouldn't, you know, probably feel comfortable to be able to explain like, hey, you know, I, I have to apologize at times. Uh, I think that's a, a big boost to your character uh, and who you are. And I, I can attest in the seven months of marriage, that was probably the hardest thing ever. To have to, uh, you know, because I because I, I realize, I mean, and you're 17 years in, so you you've been, uh, you know, savvy to this. But for me, 
I realized at this moment when I was super wrong, I was standing at the table and I was like in this door and I realized, wait, I can't say I'll call you back. I can't, she's not like, I can't say I'll see you tomorrow. Like I can't apologize via text. Like she's right here. And she just stared at me like waiting. Like, and I was like, dad gummit. Like (laughs) what is happening right now? And then as I started to realize, wait a minute, like, I have to do this right now. Like, she knows that I know now that I'm wrong. It's not even a it's not even a doubt. Like, she knows that I know now. She was looking at me like I, you know. For those of you who can't see it, she is smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the longest time, he had operated on this assumption like, oh, you see that I'm apologetic and that's great. But I'm like, no, if I don't hear it, then I don't, you know, again, even for us, it, it establishes that trust to know, like, you're willing to accept when you're wrong. You're willing to take that high road and yeah. that I can get behind, that I can follow. Yeah. But if you just want to brush it under the rug every time, it's a little hard for me to want to pick my bootstraps up every time I mess up and, you know, so face just it. So ran- random uh, curveball here. Yeah. Do either of you, uh, do you all, have you looked much into love languages? That the oh, yeah. love languages Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We did all that stuff before. Uh, well, see, <laughs> we did lot. Like we did love languages. We did personalities. We did Enneagram. Oh, anagrams. So why I think that kind of matters in relationships, you know, it, it's quite practical. Understanding how people give and receive love. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when someone first approached me with that, I thought that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of. <laughs> yeah. What kind of frou frou like academic <laughs> egghead stuff is that? But uh, the reality is, it's been really practical for me and. As a dad, it's practical too. I don't know what prompted me to do it, but I asked—I actually asked my daughter to go through the five love languages test for teens not too long ago. Wow. And I remember thinking, this is not a romantic thing, so what, I mean, what do I care what her love language is, you know? Actually, I do. It yeah. hit me like, mm-hmm. I, I, I actually might like to kind of know what how is she's it? designed. What is it? She likes uh, gifts. Gifts. Believe it or not. See, I'm a gifts guy too. And not my gift so I wish I could say oh we're totally aligned and you know that's why I'm so connected with my daughter that's not my story I had what's your love language words of affirmation really mm-hmm. I would have never guessed it was 20 years ago I haven't taken a test in that long uh, let's see it was words of affirmation you know that was the primary one I don't know what the other ones were quality time no. it might be no it might be he seems How many like times did guy. he mention quality time with his children? He's always touching my arm. <laughs> Look, stuff, I got a so. sensor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, well, hey man, we truly appreciate you taking your time out to come on to the show. Uh, if you could, in brief, just really, uh, you know, because you talked about what you do, uh, give the people a little bit about what it is that you do and some of the organizations that you, uh, you know, lend your services and yourself yourself to. Thank you so much for having me. I, I am so grateful to have this chance to visit with you guys. And loved uh, that opportunity. I love our friendship. You know, we're just starting, so it's only up from here. Yeah. Um, some of the organizations, well, a little bit more on my background. So, as, as Crystal said, I'm kind of a dyed-in-the-wool finance guy. I love helping people be successful when it comes to their finances. I spent a lot of my career helping business owners and strategic thinkers be successful when it came to finance and the direction of their business and being successful on planning growth. Mm-hmm. But also individuals. I love working with individuals and their financial goals. Of course, 
financial goals run the gamut. They can yeah. be a variety of different short-term, long-term, blue goals, green goals, red goals. Uh, I love getting into the weeds with people on that kind of thing. Wow. So that my professional life, that's what gets me all charged up. Um, so what do you do? So I am a financial advisor, okay. among other things. Right now, I help uh, business owners and families uh, set and succeed in their financial goals. So like primarily that. investments, insurance, planning, primary life insurance, and life and health, that kind of thing. See, so, you can be cool and sell insurance. I don't know. You I'm are. The jury's yeah. out on whether I'm no, cool no, or no. not. It's just what I do. No, no, no. We're giving you those words, brother. Cool. Um, so which company are you with, and how do the people get a hold of you if they would like to uh, learn more? So I am local here in Tulsa. I work for a company called Modern Woodman. Okay. What uh, Modern Woodman of America. You can reach me uh, directly. With, I'll give my number out if that's okay. You can do my number want. is 918-720-2996. Wow. Now that's a trusting guy. Yep. <laughs> now, now that number is going to be on every bathroom stall, you know, for a good time call, you know. Hey, for a good time. And you say, hey, I was told to call you for a good time. And say, yes, I can handle your finances. Uh, and you can just I you can do that. My calls, thanks to this I just podcast. I just dropped the creepy voice that he just gave you. I wouldn't. I just that. hope that it's not the same number you loaned to your daughter. Just make sure that's not the same uh, phone. I'm glad you glad you warned me about that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna go ahead and stop here, and we're gonna jump on the fathers only, and have my wife go uh, take care of some other things because we have a fathers birthright living legacy fathers meeting tonight, and uh, so yeah. Probably not when this airs, but every other Thursday. So if you're interested, hit us up on Facebook, and we'll give you more information. Thank you so much, Jared, and to our wonderful producer. Oh, what? I mean, they can't see the eyebrows. Just... Oh, I was trying to be. Oh, anyway, Clayton, silence. thank you so much there for helping us out. <laughs> she was supposed to say, you know, she does all the introducing to people. But Clayton's been here to help us to get all this equipment working. So he's the tech genius to make it happen. Thank you. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to hit the button, but it didn't work out. Bye, so thank guys. you so much. Thank you. Ah, there we go. Thank you, Jared, for coming out. Thank and you, thank guys. you. Thank you, Clayton, so much. Birthright Living Legacy needs your help. As we are on a mission to help fathers who are needing to overcome obstacles to see their children. We are preparing to provide curriculum, counseling, and family law assistance for any of our fathers. We will also have many fun events to participate in with their children as we build a fatherhood community. Partner with us on Facebook or Instagram and go to our website at brlivinglegacy.com and go to our donation tab on the bottom of the page to make a contribution. For any questions, contact us on any of our platforms as we would love to help. Birthright Living Legacy, changing lives one father at a time.